We're in Exodus chapter 18, uh, the passage Joanne read for us a moment ago. So if you have that open in front of you, that would be a great help. Let us pray. Father God, when we were in Sunday school, we learned a story about a little boy called Samuel who heard your voice calling out in the night. And he was taught eventually to say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We want to make Samuel's prayer our prayer and ask that you would come and speak to us just now. We want to listen. Amen. It all started with a text message that Moses got in the desert of Sinai. It was from his father-in-law, Jethro. Coming over for a couple of days, have Zip, Gur, and Ellie with me get the kettle on. So Moses goes ahead, makes his preparations for his father-in-law coming. Now, I don't know what kind of a relationship we have with our our father-in-laws in in this congregation. Um, We're told in verse 7 that Moses went out to meet Jethro when he arrived. He bowed down before him and he kissed him. I'm sort of thinking ahead, thinking to the day when either Sophie or Ruby gets married, and I will expect nothing less uh, from any young man marrying into our family. Bow down before me and, and kiss me. So Moses brings Jethro into the tent, and they have have a good old chat. And it's one of those conversations, it goes exactly along the lines that you'd expect. The family, for some reason that isn't explained in the biblical text at any great length, they've been apart, but now they're back together. So there's a reunion here, and the reunion follows the same pattern that, that most reunions do. We think about what's happened since we were last together and we celebrate the good things that have occurred. Moses, what's all this I've been hearing about you and these Israelites and what God has done for you? So we read there, Moses tells Jethro about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. It's a lovely moment. Moses shares his story of how God has worked to save him, and he shares it with the people closest to him. We don't know very much about Jethro. The the one time we had met him before was in chapter 2, when Moses fled from Egypt and ended up living in Jethro's household and marrying his daughter. We're told that he was a priest in Midian, but we shouldn't understand that to mean that he was a priest of, of the living God. More likely, he's a a priest or some kind of leader in some kind of ancient Near Eastern religion. So we don't know much about Jethro coming into this passage. But by the end of this passage, we know enough about Jethro. We know the most important thing of all. We know that he's come to recognize and to worship Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. Look at verses 9 and following. 
Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Jethro sees it. He sees the most important thing that any human being can ever see, and that is that God is God, and that he is to be worshipped. And he ends up doing what he knows best. He worships by, by sacrificing before God. So this first day of Jethro's two-day visit to Moses it ends up with, with Moses calling Aaron and the leaders of Israel together for a party because his family's reunited. They've thought about God's salvation and he wants to celebrate. Folks, I want you to think for a second about how it is that Jethro comes to the point where he recognizes the true and the living God. It was when he first heard Jethro tell his own story Whenever Moses tells the story of how God had had saved him and the people, Jethro responds with a newfound faith of his own. And that's worth dwelling on for a second, I think. Whenever we think of how people come to faith, we think often of the, the doctrine or the theology that we need to teach them. We think of the apologetic arguments that we need to have with them to convince them that our position is right. Both of those things have their place. Uh, There's no doubt about that. But the the reality is for many, and, and perhaps even for the majority of people, a story well told, the story of how you or I came to faith in Jesus Christ, can be a very powerful way for the Holy Spirit to, to work in their lives. Stories and not arguments continue to be the normal way in which God draws people to himself. Folks, if you have known God's salvation in your life, and maybe you don't think you could ever be a a preacher or somebody who could win complicated theological arguments, you can always be someone who shares that story with a member of your family or a friend or a colleague in work. And God can use that to to change lives all around you. So it's been a great first day uh, for Jethro's visit to Moses. The old priest finds new faith and he finds his place in the family of God. Jethro stayed for two days as far as we can tell. At At the very end of the chapter we're told that Moses sent Jethro on his way. So two days was enough to have the father-in-law around the family. But he was there for a second day, and the second half of the chapter deals with that second day. Jethro goes and visits Moses at his work, calls in at the office, and he sees there what, what Moses does, what his day job is. And he finds that Moses spends the bulk of his time acting as a judge for the people, and that means simply that he, he hears them out He listens to their disputes. He deals with their issues. 
And the narrator tells us it's a pretty full-on schedule. Moses seems to work from early in the morning until the evening. So he's, he's working flat out, or he's up to his eyes, we might say nowadays. Now, I don't know how I would feel about my father-in-law coming and work-shadowing me for the day. I'm not sure whether that would feel like a blessing or not. Um, I suppose I'd be very clear that it wasn't a blessing once he started to interfere and tell me what he thought of how I was doing my job. And that's exactly what happens in this story. What are you doing, Moses? Jethro asked. Why are you trying to do this work alone while the people stand around waiting? Now, I have to smile here when I read Moses' response. It's a real woe is me answer. Why do I do this, Jethro? It's because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses seems to share the same ego that's so common among church leaders, and he wears it right there in his sleeve. Jethro, you just don't understand I'm the only one who could possibly do this work. Don't you see, I'm the one here with the underpants on over his trousers. I'm the spiritual superhero. The people couldn't possibly be satisfied if they didn't have access at every moment of the day to me. More than three millennia later, the sizable majority of leaders in the community of God's people still lead in the Moses way. They imagine that God has called them to be the answer to all the people's problems all of the time. It's all about me. Jethro's seen here how Moses works And he's listened to Moses' explanation. And now he gives his assessment. Verse 17. What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to hear you will only wear yourselves out. This work's too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Moses, this is crazy. You'll burn out. You can't keep working like this. You've got to find a better way to work. Folks, burnout in Christian ministry is a very real issue. Uh, I thought I'd take a moment as I was preparing for this morning to to research uh, some of the latest statistics on this. Uh, Now, we always need to be careful with statistics, and and I take that for granted. But I think the picture that emerges uh, is is relatively clear, at least in a a broad sense. Here are some things that are read just in a few moments uh, of browsing. 50% of parish ministers, we're told, are unable to meet the needs of their job. 80% believed that pastoral ministry affected their families negatively. That's 80%. 33% believed ministry to be an actual hazard to family life. More than 2,000 pastors are leaving the pastoral ministry every month. I think that's an American statistic. At any given time, 75% of pastors in America want to quit their job. 
And here's the one, actually, less, it looks less dramatic, but I found it most discouraging of all. 70% of ministers or pastors do not have somebody they consider a close friend. Folks, the majority of those statistics were generated in a North American context. But I'm, I'm not sure that the issue is, is not alive here among us. I was at a meeting in our presbytery, in a, in a business meeting, during the last month. And one of the guys in the meeting said he'd just come from church house earlier that week. He had heard there that in the space of one week, that's in October 2009, three phone calls had come into church house about ministers who were going off on long-term stress. So that's three in the space of one week. Moses, this is crazy. You're going to burn out. You can't keep working like this. You've got to find a different way. Now, please don't misunderstand what's going on in this passage. There's no case being made here that the, the people are working their leaders too hard. That's, that's not the issue. That's, that's not the point I would want you to take home here this morning. Jethro's challenge is directed to whom? To Moses, not to the people. It's Moses who isn't doing good. He's the one who needs to look at the way he works and he needs to sort it out. He needs to stop trying to please all the people all of the time and he needs to get back to doing the job that he's been called to do. In verses 19 to 20, it's, it's pretty ironic really that this newly converted pagan priest of Midian is the one who's telling the great man of God, the leader of God's people, how he should live. But that's exactly what happens. Verses 19 to 20, Jethro gives his advice to Moses. You must be the people's representative before God. Bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws. Show them the way to live and the duties they're to perform. Moses, bring these people to God. Pray for them. Moses, teach them God's ways and and train them to live in those ways. Teach and pray. Pray and teach. This is the way of the godly leader. Whenever the community of God's people is at its best, this is the work that its leaders do. They commit themselves to this basic job description. In Acts chapter 6, we read the story of the early church. It's at a time again when the leaders are in danger of being burnt out because we're told there that new people are coming to faith all the time. The church is growing and growing and growing. They're becoming aware of practical needs in their community. Maybe they've run a church community and change process in their neighborhood. They have realized particularly that there are some widows uh, who are being missed out in their distribution of food. So, so there's, there's a lot of work to be done and the leaders are feeling the stress of it and they're feeling that it's pulling them away from their primary commitment. So what do they do? They see the danger and they respond. We read in the early verses of Acts 6 that the church leaders gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. 
Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. What are we going to do? We're going to pray and teach the word. We're going to teach the word and we're going to pray. That's what the leaders in the community of God are called to do. Each Christian community needs some leadership set aside for this narrow responsibility and job description. So in Acts chapter 6, we have these leaders realize that they need help to care for the people under, under their charge. I, I don't know if they were inspired by Exodus chapter 18, because that's exactly what Moses then says to, sorry, Jethro says to Moses, once he sorted out Moses' own job description and told him what he ought to be doing, he says, well, here's how we'll look after the people. And in verses 21, in verse 21, he's encouraged to get some help. Select men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. Moses, don't try to pastor the whole crowd on your own. You can't do it. Get other godly people to join you and to share in this work. Let the elders join you on a pastoral team. It might help you to understand the life of our congregation and how the the leadership here works. If you know that that we have had this conversation in in our Kirk session. A few years ago, I, I spoke to our elders about Exodus chapter 18. At that point... I'd been here a few years, probably two or three years. I'd visited my way through the entire congregation a couple of times. And I came to our elders and had an Exodus 18 chat with them. I told them that although I'd been happy to do what I'd done in that moment in time, as the church was growing and as more ministries were coming and as the demands were increasing, it was no longer going to be good for me to continue to try to be the the primary pastor for each person in our community. This was a a recipe for burnout. So we decided that the only way to do the ongoing pastoral work of the congregation was, was to do it as a team, for me to play my part alongside all the other elders. Folks, that's that's the approach to pastoring that operates in this church, at least in theory. I'm not going to suggest that it always operates perfectly. That would be naive. But that's our desire in the leadership in this place. And I thought as we we come towards the end this morning, I'd, I'd ask you to consider a few implications of that. The first is that I can't be the answer to everyone's problem all of the time. Almost sticks in your throat to say it. 
because I wish I was. I wish I could be. There's something very seductive about the notion that you can be everybody's hero all of the time. It's what this passage is about. But I can't do it. And I think God has shown me over the years that I can't do it. I think he's called me to do a slightly different thing, or or maybe a very different thing. I can't be the answer to everybody's problems all of the time. But as a team, I believe our leadership can. So the second thing I'd ask you to do is to recognize that the elders must have their place. If you're used to a model where the only person you ever talked to about your spiritual life was the minister, I'm going to have to ask you to readjust that in light of what we're seeing here this morning. Learn to open your life to your elder. Let them share Christ with you as the Holy Spirit works through them. They're they're a great and godly bunch. They're probably terrified. I didn't tell them I was going to say this this morning. But this is what, what we're called to do. This is what leadership in the church is supposed to be. Let, let your elders ha- have a real role in your life. You'll be more satisfied by that, and I know they will too. A third thing I'd ask you to do is expect me to do my job. Expect me to teach God's Word, to to be a prayerful presence in this place, to help deal with those complex pastoral issues. Expect all of that of me. But recognize that there will be some things beyond that that I can't do. Expect me to do my job. And I'd ask you to pray for us all, all the leaders in the church here, The minister who's simply one of the elders with a particular responsibility for teaching. I am the teaching elder. I stand side by side with all our other elders. And together we want to pastor and lead you. Pray for us all as we try to do that work. This is one of those chapters in the Bible that I love because it does have a happy ending. Moses did the thing that Jethro told him to do. And the outcomes are are wonderful. Jethro tells Moses, he tells Moses in verse 18 what, what things are going to look like if he doesn't sort this out. He says, you and these people who come to you will wear themselves out. You see, the truth is it's not just leaders who are worn out by the Superman leader mentality. The whole community is frustrated because it's very frustrating to be part of a large community to realize that there's only one person that you're allowed to turn to for help and to realize that that same person is trying to help everyone else. What happens is that we don't bother asking for help at all because we think that guy's already overburdened. I couldn't possibly ask him. Or if we do ask for help, It takes the poor guy so long to get to us and he does it when he's so much at his wit's end that the help help hardly feels like a blessing in the end at all. 
Folks, it's not just leaders who burn out under Superman ministry. The whole community suffers. In in verse 23, Jethro describes a much healthier kind of community that can emerge. It's a place where the leaders are able to stand the strain and the people go home satisfied. Doesn't that sound like a much better place to be? Folks, as I close this morning and bring this whole Exodus series to an end, I'm wondering what we should take away, not not just from this morning, but from the whole series. What's God taught us through this part of his word? I suppose the thing that struck me as I prepared and and preached my way through this is that it's, it's a salvation story. We've been reminded here in in on big screen of how God saved his people, Israel, from Egypt. And as we've remembered that, we've remembered the greater salvation story of how God has saved each one of us in Jesus Christ. There's a Passover lamb in Egypt, but we celebrate the Lamb of God, the one who brought us from darkness to light, from captivity to freedom, from death to life. Folks, as we have been reading and looking at the Exodus story together, it's really only a foretelling, it's really only a foreshadowing of the great and greatest salvation story, the story of Jesus. Folks, let's let's keep celebrating what Jesus has done, and let's do that as a community in this place. Let's eat the salvation meal together. Do you remember about that? That's sharing communion together, breaking bread, taking wine together to remember Jesus and his death for us. Let's do what Israel did and and sing salvation songs. We've already done that this morning. Let's keep gathering Sunday by Sunday to celebrate the one who has saved us. And let's honor each other this salvation family that only God can bring together, these people in the pews around you and beside you, these people whom God has saved, let's honor them and learn to to live with them in the community of God's people. We've been saved. Let's learn to live it out. Let's pray.